Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the National Code Enforcement Network with myself, Pete Roque. Uh, my partner, Cecilia Muela, is out there teaching uh, for the state of Virginia today, so she will be unable to join us. But we do have an interesting and awesome guest, Shane Diller. He is currently in Irving, Texas. Uh, he is the actually acting Cowboy president currently. So we're going to discuss a little bit about Cowboy, the benefits of Cowboy, uh, also the um, the integration between code enforcement and building, and you know uh, we'll talk a little bit about his move over to another state, which is interesting. So, all right, with that. Uh, how you doing, uh, Shane? I'm good, Pete. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me to participate, and I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be here. You know, when we invited you, we didn't expect you to be in Texas. <laughs> I, I didn't either. When you, when we when we first talked about doing this, uh, this was not in the cards. So <laughs> everything happens very change happens quickly sometimes. Wow, and it's crazy. It's a, it's a crazy pivot. So you know, I, I normally like the origin story and how you kind of got started in. Uh, code enforcement in, at Cowboy. So, you know, I know you were a police chief at one time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's let's go back, scale it back to when you were a, a young lad and say, hey, I want to be a police chief slash, uh, you know, deputy uh, assistant director and now the manager over here in Irvine, Texas. Absolutely. Now, so uh, just for the record, I don't think anybody ever starts out saying they want to be a police chief. Uh, <laughs> you know, I... Uh, uh, my career in, you know, right, basically right out of high school uh, was law enforcement. I went to the academy the year after high school. I was one of the youngest people in my academy class uh, at the time at uh, 19 and uh, just went in police work. And I did uh, police work of one kind or another for, you know, a good almost 10 or 12 years before I ended up working for a small city in Northern California, uh, the city of Isleton. And when I say small, it was a city of about a thousand people at the time. So it was a small city. And as the police chief there, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of crime in the, the traditional sense. So one of the things that the department undertook was nuisance abatement and code enforcement and, and that sort of thing. And I had very little, if no concept as to what that term even meant like what are we trying to do exactly and I uh, connected with some great people who kind of taught me the ins and outs of the administrative enforcement world and then I you know took some formal classes that the uh, American River College was offering at the time and uh, really sort of trained myself and, and some of my officers in that administrative end of things, you know, how to issue administrative notices and how to, you know, to do enforcement outside of the criminal realm. And I've honestly, I fell in love with it. You know, one of the reasons why I landed on it was because in law enforcement, I had been a broken windows policing nerd. And I, had, uh, you know, was a big believer and still am in the fact that if, Police agencies and local governments in general can focus on small issues. Uh, they prevent them from becoming big ones. That's basically sort of the underpinning of broken windows uh, policing. And I saw code enforcement as that dealing with disorder at its base level of being able to really dive in and address issues related to blight and related to nuisances before it became an environment that was attractive to greater criminal activity. And so I, you know, spent uh, a good almost three years there in, in Isleton and 
you know, as many police chiefs do, I, I actually spent the last six months I was with the city as their acting city manager, in addition to being their police chief. And I realized, you know, it's time to time to grow, time to to move on. And I started looking around, and I really had fell in love with code enforcement and the positive impacts it could change. Uh, and so I looked for a code enforcement position. And the city of El Grove, which was one I drove through every day from home to work going to Ileton, was hiring in code enforcement. And I threw my hat in the ring, and they were kind enough to give a, a you know a, a small town cop a, a chance to do something a little different. And uh, I took the bull by the horns. You know, I, you know, recently listened to your podcast with, uh, with Ben Bredmore from, uh, from Maine and the way he described, you know, the, the work he did where he was the, you know, the inspector and the plans checker and the chief bottle washer and wore all the hats was very <laughs> similar. I think to the work I, I did in Ileton, you know, where I was the, uh, you know, the acting city manager and the police chief and helped run public works. And I think they made me a battalion chief in the volunteer fire department. I mean, it was, you know, a little bit of everything that we were doing there. So when I came to El Grove and, and, and just was working in code enforcement, I still had that breadth of experience from my time in police work to the other elements of local government I was involved in. And I was able to leverage that so that code enforcement uh, was really able to be a force multiplier for everyone and really be able to connect with public works and to connect with police and fire and see how the investigative and enforcement tools we have in the administrative realm there were able to help those other departments accomplish the work they were trying to do in addition to our pure sort of, you know, nuisance mission that we had, you know, dealing with zoning and nuisances and those sorts of things. So I did that, you know, uh, as the code enforcement manager and, uh, uh, and helping out in other duties is assigned as you sometimes do in cities uh, for a few years at Oak Grove when uh, we reorganized and code enforcement was moved out of neighborhood services and into building safety. And so I came, I became sort of the second, uh, second in command of the building official. And it was another one of those things where I didn't have a lot of experience on the technical end of uh, building, of the building code and, and processes. So I dove in headfirst and began to learn about the administration of a building department and the processes and, and what the staff needed. And I helped our building official there at the time, you know, run the department for a handful of years. And then he retired. And once again, the city looked to reorganize and they created a development services department where they took the standalone departments of building safety and the standalone departments of planning and then the division of engineering and housing and code enforcement and all these things and moved it into one department where I became the assistant director. And they basically had sort of merged the building official's job and the code enforcement manager's job into one assistant director's position. And I oversaw both of those functions. And that's where I really started to sink my teeth into the administrative and, and legal ends of, of running the building safety side of things. No one believed me to this day and the staff that I've worked with who I love dearly and I think they probably feel fondly about me, I guess. Uh, they all recognize, we all know, you don't want me inspecting anything. I'm not the guy you want to send in to uh, to place to, to look at the nail sizes or to check the joists or any of that sort of stuff. My technical expertise is still uh, uh, still not up to to par with some of the people that are you know doing the real job uh, of what we do. I'm much more a, a budget and policy and politics nerd in this field. Uh, 
And I embrace that. I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. That is my, that's my realm. That's my comfort zone. And so that led me into, you know, doing work with Calbo and with the uh, California building officials and, you know, teaching classes in code enforcement uh, to start with. And then, uh, you know, search and seizure and then marijuana and just all sorts of things that were, you know, information folks needed that was not from that very uh, traditional side of the building safety function. You know, I didn't get into teaching the, uh, uh, you know, the updates to the codes or any of that sort of stuff. I, you know, uh, stayed in the administrative and investigative end of things, but it led me into working with uh, uh, the legislative side of things and in monitoring bills and in advocating for, for good policy. Uh, in the capital there in Sacramento. And that's, I think, what led me then to, uh, uh, you know, to running for the Calbo board. And in 2016, I threw my hat in the ring as a director of Calbo, and the membership was either smart enough or foolish enough, depending on your perspective, to elect me to their board of directors. And uh, have, you know, served on the board of directors there now for the last six years and enjoyed every minute of that getting to connect with people in the building safety field in the fire prevention field and in code enforcement around california and and the country through calbo has been invaluable to me in the, my career development but also hopefully i've done some great work in those fields to be able to raise the profile of the industries and to advocate for uh, you know, not only good policies and good laws that we need uh, to do our jobs well, but on sort of broadening that concept of what we look at as a building safety professional. You know, it, it's not just the inspector, not just the plans examiner. You know, it's also the, you know, the fire prevention uh, officer and it's the code enforcement staff and it's your, you know, permit techs and admins. We're all working together in that field to create a safe built environment. And we just all sort of have our specialties to it. And I think that I've, uh, I've worked hard successfully to, you know, continue to build those bridges and to broaden that scope of what we see as a building safety professional, you know? And so, yes, as the last, uh, over two years now, and I'll be honest with you, the, the term of a Calvo president is uh, one year or slightly less, depending on how the, the year runs. And because of COVID, we uh, took a pause on our uh, meetings and elections. So my term has now run for two years instead of one. And then we had a snafu with our venue in the city of Los Angeles here in uh, late January, early February. So we had to move what was going to be our late March ABM to the second week of May now in Palm Springs. And not that there's a bad reason to go to Palm Springs, but um, I'm now, you know, <laughs> absolutely. I'm now, you know, continuing in the role briefly for just a little while longer. And, you know, I've ended up, you know, you know, being the longest serving Calbo president in history with no intention of, of, uh, of taking on that role. But I've absolutely loved it. And I've loved uh, serving our members and getting to know everyone. And uh, though, yes, I have recently made the move to Irving, Texas to be the code enforcement director. Uh, you know, my heart will always be with Calbo and with uh, California and our members there. And, you know, as appropriate and as possible, I'll continue to stay engaged. I'm sure I'll see everyone at national conferences through ICC and ACE and various 
trainings and stuff. But uh, I am now, as as of the last uh, week or so, out in Irving, Texas, and am looking for the uh, the you know this next chapter of of my career and to see where everything I've sort of gathered in my toolbox so far takes me and uh, and benefits the, the the citizens I serve now. Awesome, Shane. So you know, and it's funny like when I get to you know talk to a lot of guests, you know, a lot of times we talk about it from the technical side, and I love the administrative portion of it. You know, I, I always uh, tell people. You know what? I can lay tile. I do a fantastic job, but it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> you know Absolutely. what? I, I've done it. I, I can do it. If I need to do it, I can do it. But at the end of the day, I like the, I'm the person that goes and gets the bids and hires the contractors and does all the job to make sure it gets done and oversees it. And I think uh, you know having that discussion as far as the managerial portion of it that doesn't really get discussed on the on the building safety side because everybody's always like oh we we need to concentrate on safety but the management component is so important because you got to make sure that your inspectors are doing the right thing that they're serving the customers at a correct time even even with code enforcement you have to make sure you use an educational type of approach not only that but giving people options and the opportunity to voluntarily comply so absolutely you know, and that's one of the things that, you know, us as managers that we have to talk about. And, you know, you know, you and I being in a manager, you know, managerial role, sometimes you we have to deal with those tough political issues, even though, you know, you know, um, we have to find fair and resolutions, you know. So let's let's go back to, you know, your time as a police officer. You know, I I had a, a chief DeRay and I had Chief Solano on on the show before and we talked about the value of code enforcement and the police department. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, one of the things I always tell, you know, when I talk to, uh, you know, different police uh, folks, I go, look, you guys take care of the bees. We take care of the hive, you know, we're in it for the long <laughs> term, you know, and, and, you know, talking about the broken windows theory, that's something that really doesn't get discussed and it, it does, but it doesn't get discussed like on a, on a more uh, like surface level. And I'll give you an example, like a hoarder house. You may have a house, you know, that one house on the block, where everybody knows that's the hoarder house. So people start moving out of the neighborhood. So you get people that really don't mind it to come in and they kind of share some of the same, uh, the same, I would say, uh, you know, tendencies to like store stuff in the yard sure. or, you know, and, and it kind of dominoes and people don't see that if you nip it in the, in the bud quick, you know, actually you get a better resolution, a longer term resolution. You know, so let me. So we had Rachel, our co-host on Friday, says thank you for your service, sir. Yes, yes. You know, you um, being a, you know, I want to kind of get a perspective from, you know, your your um, going from law enforcement to code enforcement. What's the biggest challenge that some people transitioning? Because we do get a lot of police officers that want to transition over to code enforcement under the tenure. What's uh, what's something that you would say would would be a kind of a difficult thing for them to transition to that they're not used to? I think the biggest hurdle that you have there in changing the mindset is recognizing that code enforcement is slower and more deliberative in most situations than law enforcement is. Law enforcement is, you know, it's 911. It's responding to something in progress and dealing with it right then and there to address that problem. You know, you, you know, you write a citation into court or you tow a vehicle or you, 
uh, you know, you take someone to, to jail and start that prosecution process is all much faster than what we do in, uh, in code enforcement. In code enforcement, it's, you know, the due process of notice and opportunity to correct. And that's one of the things that on the that I see as a positive for code enforcement is that code enforcement is not about generating a fine or generating a fee, and not and law enforcement isn't either. But it's you know uh, fees and fines are something that are tools in law enforcement that occur much faster. You know, you write a citation for speeding or you write a citation for something that, that occurs right then and, and the, the fine is the punishment, you're off to the next thing. In code enforcement, our goal is long-term change and our goal is working with residents so that they understand the standards that we're trying to, uh, to achieve and then giving them an opportunity to get to that before you ever get to the point to where you're writing someone a citation with a fine or you're issuing them a fee of some kind. And if you have codes either adopted at the, the local level or that you're adopting from the model codes, uh, you know, that are supported by your community, you're going to have a very high rate of voluntary compliance. And you're going to have an opportunity to just work with people to, for them to accomplish that change so that the environment is improved without have to doing any of the get tough things by way of, you know, court actions or of fines or fees that can be punitive. And I've really enjoyed that part. But it's much more about problem solving yeah. than it is about the enforcement, you know, technicalities. And then on the flip side, you do achieve those long-term goals. And and somebody coming out of police work, you know, knows that oftentimes the person that you have cited, the person you've arrested is back out, you know, you know, back in the street or back in their home long before you're done with the paperwork sometimes. And if you're able to transition your mindset so that understanding that code enforcement is about achieving that long-term goal and making sure that neighborhoods and communities have a higher quality of life on the ongoing basis and not just about solving the problem that's in front of you at the time, it's very rewarding. And I think that those are the things that I impart to people that are looking to make a change out of uh, traditional police work into code enforcement. Yeah. And one of the things that I, you know, always say, you know, in code enforcement, you have to deal with a lot of gray, you know, it's not really black and white. So you do have to deal with the gray and negotiate and, you know, and, and say, okay, am I, am I really going to press this issue? Because the guy left one thing on his side yard versus the yard was super clean, like super uh, messy. Or am I going to fight this 80 year old lady for not picking up the dead fruit in front of her house? Right. You You know, and, and these are things that you go to councils, like, uh, sir, we were fighting her every day because, you know, she had dead fruit in her yard and, you know, a little 90-year-old lady comes out and <laughs> you seem like such a jerk, you know? Yes. And, 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 you know, I tell folks, look, a lot of times, it, you know, and I've done this personally, you know, like sometimes, you know, the elderly can't put their trash cans away. I'll, I'll put them away for you. You know, something that simple. And some people is like, oh, no, you're, it's a liability. I'm like, look, we're just trying to get compliance. These folks need to know we're community partners. And I think, um, you know, for, you know, and going back to the community partner thing, uh, you, you, Elk Grove did a great outreach program. Some of the, you know, I use the uh, the internet to, to show people and you guys have a great thing on, on Code Enforcement 101. And, you know, you guys uh, are probably one of the, if you type in Google Code Enforcement 101, your the Elk Grove video will pop up. It's normally one of the first ones. That's great. And, 
you know, and, and to me, it's, it's important. And, you know, I, I think it, this was done under, you know, your tenure there. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of outreach to the community when it comes to code enforcement and why you're doing it and, you know, what, uh, what works for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. No, and uh, and you're you're right to uh, uh, you know to I, I think that the team at Elk Grove, you know Rosa Tapia, the manager there, and her team uh, value that community interaction more than anybody I've I've seen so far in our field. And I, I I'm very pleased with the the Code Enforcement 101 that uh, that the team there uh, put together and continues to walk people through that sort of understanding of what code enforcement is because you have to start with the fact that you know many residents of your city will understand what the fire department does and they'll know what the police department does and they'll understand you know solid waste will you know will haul away the trash and recycling and that sort of thing but a lot of them stop and they go well, wait what, what is what is code enforcement how does code enforcement work and i think starting with that education of what code enforcement is as a field and as a profession is important and you sort of distinguish, you know, what we do, what we're focused on, and then reinforcing how we do that. You know, the education first model that many agencies successfully use is something that we can all tout and, and, and make sure they understand that, you know, a, a contact from code enforcement is, you know, nothing to fear. And that it's something that, you know, we're there, a partner to work with them and a partner to educate them on the various areas of uh, either model codes that we've adopted or local codes you've adopted that, that need compliance and how to get to, uh, to where we need everybody to be. Not just so that the, the rules are followed, but so that that environment that people are living and working and doing business in is, you know, is better. That it really it protects, you know, every resident and every property owner from, you know, deterioration and bad actions of other property owners, you know, because often you hear the refrain of, oh, you know, it's my property and I should be able to do what I want. And if you've adopted codes that are supported by your community, those codes are intended to make sure that a single actor, a single property owner isn't able to to do things, you know, with their property or take actions in certain ways that cause deterioration to the people around them and the community around them. And if we use that, if we view it through that lens, I think many people will both understand what we're trying to do and then also appreciate the efforts that, uh, that the, the hardworking people that are you know, on the street and in the field every day do to, to make sure that uh, standards are, are met and that everything is healthy, safe, and, and, uh, and nice looking. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I always tell code officers, look, when you're explaining to the general public on what it is that code enforcement does, I would say, look, break it down like you're telling uh, five to <laughs> to eight year old, because, you know, we can we can talk about code enforcement and be very technical and people are going to look around like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, end of the day, I'm like, look, I'm here to make sure your streets clean. And you have a safe place to, to live. That it's not going to fall on you. It's not going to burn up. And that's my role. Uh, and you know, and even explaining, you know, a lot of people. And 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 it's 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 funny because I challenge anybody to you know when when you talk to a resident, and say, hey, do you know what a model code is? And you know, people are going to say, what? what? What are you talking about? Well, do you know where these codes come from? You know, and these are these are state regulations that come. You know. Uh, and I'll give you an example, like a charred, um, you know, electrical socket. 
you know, why is it in a fire code? Because it's been compromised, you know, it has potential for fire or, or shorting. So, you know, you explain that to them and say, hey, look, I just need it to be changed out. We can come back, you know, and, you know, and if, 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 uh, you don't even give them options and say, hey, you know what? You may want to hire an electrician. You may want to uh, do some maintenance on it. You know, you may have to turn off your breaker. You know, it's just whatever you need to do to, like, keep them at ease that, hey, it's not the biggest expense in the world. Because most people look at code enforcement like, oh, Lord, uh, now they're going to cost me more money. You know, even contractors, you know, I get contractors all the time. Well, I've been doing this for 30 years. And you know what? I go, sir, I, I understand. But in those 30 years, you should have learned that you needed permits. <laughs> you know, one time yes. or yeah. and, and not jokingly, sometimes you hear that. Well, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, I've, I've gotten away with this for, you know, years and years and years. And in a not joking way, I often congratulate them. I said, hey, listen, I, I get it. You've had a great run. Okay, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily been legal all this time. And so now, you know, you, you know, we, we've caught up to you and we appreciate your, your help in complying and and uh, and and doing it right going forward. <laughs> and so and and not in a sarcastic way. I mean, you know, it, it, they should look at that as a as a win in some ways that, hey, you know what? I, I was able to get by with this, but now we're we're not doing that now. No, uh, of course, you know, and. You know, just in, in talking to a lot of these contractors, uh, most of them know they, you know, they're supposed to get permits and they know, you know, uh, you know, and, and just educating the public and saying, hey, look, I understand that this structure was unlawfully altered. I know you probably didn't do it. And, you know, and I always tell the story like the, my first encounter with code enforcement was when I was like 19. I was in the military and my brother had a seizure and. You know, the fire department had a hard time taking them out of the house because we had an illegal structure in the rear, which we bought that way, which you'll hear like, I bought it like that. Well, you know what? In this case, we bought it like that. It caused my parents so much grief. And at that point, I realized the impact that code enforcement officers have, you know, because I've I've sent through, you know, like where I've dealt with a senior citizen, their daughter or son came by and says, look, they can't sleep, they can't eat, they're so stressed out about this. And I have to bring them in and say, look, you know, I, I want you to look at, a, you know, the, this this whole case as a pizza. I only need you to do a slice at a time, maybe in half a, you know, half a slice, but I need some progress in order for me to justify to keep giving you more time, sure. you know, because that's one thing that a lot of folks forget that we, you know, this has been a problem for 10 years. Yeah, we can give them a 30 day extension. It's not going to kill you. You know, and I think that that human element with code enforcement sometimes gets lost where it puts us in in a particular situation where it could be dangerous, you know, because somebody's upset. You know, how do you you know, how do you stop upset people? You, you give them options, you give them control of their situation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, you get a better resolution in voluntary compliance, which brings me to my next uh, topic, you know, in, in the code enforcement 101s, you guys were probably the, one of the first people that had safety regulations intact, you know, before SB 296. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the measures that you took to make sure that your officers have some sort of safety uh, you know, uh, while performing their duties. Sure. Yeah. No. We, one of the things that uh, that we examined back in 2008 uh, in Elk Grove was the interactions that the code enforcement officers had. Uh, you know, sort of did a threat analysis, if you will, of what occurred, and then we sort of looked at what's what are great defensive strategies we can put in play. 
you know, and, you know, whether that was, you know, formal training in regards to, you know, things like verbal judo or de-escalation or being able to, you know, communicate with people well to, you know, communication strategies. I think honestly, you know, of all the tools you can hang on someone and all of the equipment you can buy them and give them, the biggest thing that I have seen, you know, help in regards to safety for the officers on the street is, you know, a, a, a direct and, and, uh, and steady communication line with local law enforcement so that law enforcement knows where they're at, uh, what they're doing, and that when they call for help, there's, you know, help readily available to them. So we made sure that the code enforcement officers had radios that could communicate with the uh, patrol units, uh, and that worked two ways. And the uh, the patrol units were, uh, you know, were very quick to be able to communicate with the code enforcement officers and ask questions and report what they were seeing. We put them on the police department's uh, computer-aided dispatching system so that the dispatchers could see where the officers were in the field and they could enter their locations and the various things they were doing in that way so that there was real-time information in regards to uh, where the officers were and, uh, and, you know, helped sort of track their safety. We did provide, uh, uh, body armor so that the officers had, uh, you know, again, another piece of defensive equipment that, you know, done right, doesn't have to look aggressive or doesn't have to be, uh, you know, something that, you know, militarizes, if you will, uh, you know, the look of the officer. Um, and then we provided uh, uh, tasers. You know, a lot of officer or a lot of code enforcement officers, uh, uh, fire prevention staff, you know, they'll be issued pepper spray or they'll be issued, uh, uh, you know, the small canisters or tear gas, that sort of thing that, you, you know, mace uh, traditionally it's called. And one of the things that anybody who's worked uh, with those, that type of equipment for a long time realizes it's incredibly messy. The moment you have to use it, it's going to get on them, you, everything around you, all of your, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not a terribly efficient, though it can be effective, not a terribly efficient deterrent. And we worked with the, uh, the city's police department there to examine the, the use of a taser in a defensive way. So that because one of the things we found was that aggressive animals, specifically aggressive dogs, were repelled at any sort of electricity and just the arcing, not having to fire, not having to aim, not even having to hit the animal with the taser, just having the cartridge off and arcing the taser yeah. causes an aggressive animal to back up and, and not they don't want to mess with electricity. And. Uh, just knowing that, uh, you know, we leaned in heavily to equipping the community services officers and the PD, the animal control officers and the code enforcement officers with that defensive device so that, you know, it's not about apprehension. It's about being able to escape a situation, whether it's, you know, in the what we were angling for was dealing with aggressive animals. Obviously, it could also, you know, deter an aggressive person uh when when that came up and you know made the tool available i'm pleased to report that at least as of when i left the city of el grove a couple of weeks ago uh there had not been an incident where the uh the staff there had had to need to utilize yeah. uh, these tools that all of the underpinning of safety that is built into the philosophy of the program creates an environment to where you never really get to having to use the tools uh, that you have there for the worst case scenario. Knock on wood, I hope that continues 
uh, to this day. And I'm not by any means advocating that any certain piece of equipment is right for every agency or right for every environment. I think that as you know, the new law in California uh, reinforces that every agency should just stop and look at you know the the threats that they encounter and you know, take an exploration of the strategies that are involved and really figure out what works best for them. Is it a change in the style and where they work? Is it, uh, you know, particular tools or particular uh, uh, equipment? It, 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 the answer could be one or all or none of those, depending on what you're looking at. So it, uh, uh, it was exciting for me to kind of, you know, lead a charge there and be a little innovative. And it's given me great perspective on how to approach that stuff going forward. No, that's, that's awesome. You know, and, and I tell certain jurisdictions because sometimes you have a jurisdiction and plain clothes still, you yeah. know, so there's no identifiable, um, you know, things. So if an officer gets attacked, you wouldn't know if it's a code enforcement officer. You know, so we advocate, hey, you should have some sort of insignia on your, you know, on your shirt or on your badge or whatever, uh, you know, and also like you, you see jurisdictions driving their own vehicles, you know, that's why it's important to say, hey, you know what, we might need some confidentiality, you know, in our, in our, uh, in our state bill. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, jurisdictions are, you know, for the most part are trying to do their best and trying to comply with SB 296, you know, but it, it's hard because, a lot of folks don't know, you know, especially management, they don't know how to make an assessment because they really don't know what their code enforcement officers do. <laughs> you know, so a lot of times you have to knuckle down and say, hey, you know what? Our code officers deal with animals. You know, what, what's a good repellent for animals? I mean, I've seen, um, you know, folks uh, in the Azusa era, area, you know, with shotguns because, you know, they deal with bears. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes. You know, your physical environment can dictate oftentimes what uh, what you need as much as anything else. I mean, if you're out in an exceptionally rural area or in a mountainous area where you have uh, large cats or bears or that sort of thing, learning strategies for dealing with those things is just as important as, you know, in an urban viol- uh, environment dealing with, you know, aggressive dogs or various things you'd encounter there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it's interesting. What's up? So. You know, with Cowboy, what's what's some of the things that you before you know prior to you um, you know going to Texas? What what are some of the things that Cowboy was really looking at uh, as far as you know uh, you know legislative stuff? I know SB nine was one of the big issues that you guys were dealing with uh, last year. Um, so w- what are some issues that you guys are dealing with? And also, um, you know, as far as Cowboy goes, you know, integrating some code enforcement training. You did a great marijuana course that, you know, I've gotten rave reviews from it. and I, I didn't get to attend it, but like, oh, wow, the Shane Diller guy, he does great uh, marijuana enforcement stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. I want to I want to check it out. You know, so <laughs> thanks. Uh, so, you know, what, what is it that uh, um, Cowboy's working on and, you know, things that we, you know, us as viewers should be aware of? Uh, you know, in California and maybe abroad. You know, I think that the, uh, you know, the theme in what Calbo's uh, doing on the legislative front is is multi-pronged. You know, there's always discussion of, of uh, you know, ADU regulations and housing allowances and trying to deal with the, the housing crisis. Uh, you know, there's um, seismic resiliency uh, legislation and topics that Calbo has both supported and opposed, uh, you know, in regards to uh, the older housing or an older, you know, building stock in agencies. But the one theme that Calbo 
always focuses on is trying to make sure that we're not legislating code standards, that we're really trying to reinforce that the code adoption process that is set up through ICC is one, and then in California through the Building Standards Commission, is one that, is, that should be respected. And, you know, one of the things we regularly bristle at is any sort of mandate that comes through legislation that, that you know, skirts or circumvents the code adoption process itself. You know, California is uh, unique in the fact that it has just about every kind of environment and every kind of geography that a state can bring. And so you can't adopt legislation that necessarily treats California as a whole. You know, when we looked at seismic resiliency, we didn't want to mandate on, you know, Northern California or Central Valley agencies the same type of uh, earthquake inventories and stuff that you'd have to do in the Bay Area or in Southern California where there's greater risk. We really liked the legislator to, you know, the drafting these bills to take a look at the state in regions or in parts so that you weren't burdening agencies with something that was unnecessary to them or in fact you weren't adopting something that would leave out agencies in other areas where it was really concerning and so california is a unique legislative environment because we have a very active full-time legislature and uh you know they're very quick to react to things in a legislative way and so, you know, prior to COVID and in the last year or so since we've um, begun to come out of the pandemic, they've focused a lot on housing policy and housing law and on those sorts of things that on their face, you, you may think doesn't have a lot of impact to uh, building standards or to building safety. But in fact, if you're going to both expect the local agency that has to administer all of this to be responsive and to be, you know, as quickly as they can in, in working with new development and then layering on, you know, continued additional regulations or state mandates, you're going to create a problem that the builders are going to encounter that Calbo likes to make sure that we have a balance to. You know, we want to make sure that if there's new regulation that it's it's purposeful and that it's something that um, would not slow down or would not hinder an agency's resources to be able to serve the community they're trying to serve at their counter every day. Yeah, and one of, one of the things I can appreciate about Cabo is your communicative um, uh, methods. You guys are good about uh, dispersing you know, information. You know, you're in Elk Grove, I'm down here in the, you know, in the LA County area. But even the San Diego County area, you know, you hear some, you know, you sit in through one of their meetings and then they're discussing things from Cabo or, you know, their local chapters. So that's something that I think uh, some other, um, you know, chapters or, you know, or different agencies should take note of. You know, I belong to the California Association of Code Enforcement Officers and, you know, we get we get uh, information, but I don't think we get it as much as Cabo does. You know, you know, and, you know, which kind of led, you know, us in Orange County to create a, more of a code enforcement uh, chapter just to kind of tie in some of the building stuff in regards to some of the property maintenance stuff that the state association offers. So, you know, uh, ICC and Cowboy is more geared towards the building, you know, the built environment stuff. So, you know, a lot of times you need that extra, that extra 
uh, I guess, um, uh, wealth of knowledge, <laughs> you might say, you know. So, yeah. So what are something that Cowboys working on in regards to anything code enforcement? Is there anything in the works that you're saying, hey, maybe we need more training or, you know, some maybe uh, some one on one on some of the building stuff. Uh, so sure. a code officer can be more it could be more palatable for them. You know, at Calbo, you know, our training, especially in the code enforcement realm, our training is regularly geared towards trying to make sure that the uh, the building officials and the senior inspectors, the supervisors, that management end of things really understand how code enforcement works. Yeah. And whether they're supervising or overseeing a code enforcement program or whether they're connecting with one in a different department that's, that's you know, serving as the enforcement arm of what they're doing, that they understand the processes and they understand how to leverage that in the best way possible. And so every year, you know, uh, the, uh, the Calbo Training Institute meets and we look at, okay, what are the, what's the emerging trend? What are the things that we feel like we need to do? There's some staples that we will always offer in a regular cycle. You know, there's a practical code enforcement for building officials class that, uh, that uh, I've, I've taught for over 10 years and that we continue to uh, Frank Bush, the uh, retired superintendent of building safety for the city of LA has taught that class uh, as well. And it's something that we'll continue to come back in cycle. You know, every couple of years we'll want to teach that because you have new people moving into management or new people moving into the industry that, uh, that need the nuts and bolts of the basics. And then every year we look and sort of say, what's the trending topic this year? You know, last year, like you mentioned, it was, you know, continued updates to marijuana enforcement and marijuana strategies. And, uh, you know, the, the commission will continue to meet and look at what the uh, what the emerging trend is and try to make sure that the the training is is topical. One of the things I, I always throw out to to folks is that if there's something that they're feeling like, you know, what we really wish the people in the building industry or in the building safety management end of things knew about what we're doing or new about a particular area that you, you know, you send that to us so that we can then look at it and try to put on something to really educate our folks. And if there's something that, um, that the, you know, that Calbo's uniquely situated because it's got this, you know, robust statewide reach that's uniquely situated to offer as a training class at the various ed weeks or through a webinar or something like that, that we get those ideas because, um, you know, we are the first ones to admit that we're not going to think of all the great ideas ourselves. We really want to hear from the members and from our partner industries as to what they feel like they're needing and what they maybe haven't seen in a little while. So I can't say exactly what other than I know the code enforcement, the practical code enforcement for building officials class will continue to cycle back. I can't say for certain what uh, what the hot topics will be as we go into next uh, fall or even after but I know that Calbo works to keep things fresh yep. and to keep things timely in regards to the training that they offer. You know, one of, one of the things, Shane, that I've seen, you know, with code enforcement, with good divisions out there that work really well with their building departments, you know, um, the slap houses, the uh, illegal gambling areas that where they did all sorts of electrical alterations, even the, uh, the weed dispensaries or the weed grows, they're doing all sorts of crazy uh, electrical and plumbing, you know, really close to each other without any protection and, you know, that could cause severe fire damage. And those are things that a lot of code enforcement officers don't really 
kind of look at, you know, they're, they're looking more from a nuisance point of view, like land use. And sure. a lot, you know, so they're using these tools like receiverships, which is they're good tools or injunctions. But a lot of times you can get it really squared away really fast with using the building code. And I, and I, Absolutely. Think, I think people forget, like, you know, when you're blocking, you know, weed dispensaries, you know, in the in their attempt to you know shade you know shade their activities they block off all the windows and you're creating egress issues you know and then you have a wall to let them in so you're creating more egress issues people you know can realize i'm like hey this change of use has become dangerous you know it could be you know either red tagged or or to something to that extent and and i think when uh code enforcement officers realize that these tools exist i mean how many volumes of California code books are there. There are tons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people, look, PD that knows how to use code enforcement properly, they are probably the fastest, swiftest, you know, um, you know, they tend to, a lot of crime tends to relocate to the next city over. And then that city calls, calls that city. It's like, Hey, how'd you guys do that? Well, we did, we did it like this. So they copy and then the people move over to the next city. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No displacement is something that, especially when you're dealing with nuisances and stuff, you know, it's, it's pretty easy for the problem to move. Yeah. And if you stay connected with the surrounding agencies you're working with and you approach things, you know, as much as you can from sort of a regional approach, you prevent that displacement so that they recognize that they're not going to be, uh, you know, left alone or, or able to operate just by moving across uh, a jurisdictional boundary. Yeah. And I, and, and I tell folks, you know, all the time, it's a, learn your building code i mean zoning codes great building code you know even public works people don't use public works as much you know like mm -hmm. hey yeah they're encroaching onto the street they're causing this they're causing that you know when you have when you have a whole you know room full of ingredients you know you're gonna make something good <laughs> good happen sooner or later you know absolutely you know well and it's just it's that holistic approach to serving you know our citizens you know it's it's not very often what we're dealing is not going to fit in one neat box. It's going to take a, a, a partnership between the various agencies that deal with these things. And, you know, I've seen situations where you're dealing with inoperable vehicles and they'll get a tag from the PD to move it off the street and they'll put it in the driveway. And then code enforcement will come along and tag it in the driveway and they'll move it back to the street. And you're not solving the issue. You're just sort of punting it. You're playing tennis with this violation with another department. And so going in and, and a more holistically approaching, how do we solve this? And maybe educating them from the, you know, from the very beginning, hey, listen, this is what you need to do with this vehicle. Don't move it back to the street because PD will then, you know, and that's also not legal. You know, it's the, uh, it's, uh, it's that broad information that helps the resident really understand what the city or the county is looking for as a whole, rather than just trying to solve the problem of the moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, just going back to the, the, the issues with the car in California, we have the abandoned vehicle abatement program, you know, in some cities that don't have it, you know, we have, you know, we have um, public nuisance hearings where we say, Hey, you got 10 days to remove your vehicle or it's going to get towed because it's, it's unregistered and operable. And it's been there for like the last 20 years. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, we understand you took your prom date on, on that Toyota Camry, but guess what? Hey, you know what? It, it needs to move on or you need to register it or fix it or needs, you know, it needs to be operable, you know? So, you know, okay, so cool. So we covered all pretty much all the stuff and I want to get some, some good stuff. So transitioning over from California to Texas, you know, 
and a lot of us sometimes we get stuck in a you know in a jurisdiction i'm not saying that you got stuck but you know mm-hmm. and you want to make a change and you want to move to a you know another state you know to kind of experience their things um so what 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 tell me about the transition and tell me you know what you're seeing in different in difference between california and texas sure well i think the you know the the thing i've noticed first and foremost is that the underpinnings of what we do the foundation of code enforcement and how it works and the challenges it takes on are the same everywhere we go yeah and so i've landed in an environment that is exceptionally welcoming and is uh, you know a, a great operation and the themes and the challenges of what we're working on here are the same ones that I, I left in, in California. And so it's not the, you know, it's not that much different from the nuts and bolts of it. Of course, you've got different state laws and different practices, you know, and different things in place that you adapt to. But I think that anybody that's looking to make a professional change, and you know, you're right, I, I was not at all stuck in a rut where I was. I absolutely loved and will miss the folks at the city of Elk Grove. Um, but it was you know, an opportunity that came up here that I just thought was, you know, good for my professional development and good for my family and something that I wanted to, you know, to uh, to dive right in on. And so I looked at the requirements and the tools and stuff I would need. And one of the one of the greatest things I think I found is that, you know, being involved with the associations, uh, you know, being involved in ICC and the way ICC does its partnership with ACE and certifications and stuff like that creates a great foundation to be able to bring that, the underpinnings of what you need and transport those to anywhere in, you know, in the country. And so, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, an ACE ICC uh, certified code enforcement administrator. That is something that, you know, as you get that, as you achieve that certification, it provides all of the the foundational knowledge and experience you need so that wherever you're landing, you know that at least you're starting off on the right foot. And that, yeah, you have to learn the local details and you have to learn, you know, to, uh, you know, to what the citizens you're serving now are looking for you to emphasize. But I wouldn't... Uh, uh, I wouldn't discourage anybody from pausing and really looking and saying, you know, what's out there next? You know, what code enforcement, you know, for better or for worse is one of those things that sometimes you can get pigeonholed in. And, you know, there's not always a direct upward mobility from code enforcement officer to the city manager's office. Yeah, you know, It's like if you're really wanting to move up in local government, you know, what do you do? And for somebody that's, you know, that's uh, newer or younger in code enforcement, you may want to start looking at some of those, you know, broader perspectives, you know, learning more about, you know, what Public Works is doing or getting some, you know, of the building certifications uh, in inspection or in plan check and, and, and that sort of thing and really understanding, um, you know, the broader perspective, because then as you apply for positions or you look at opportunities that are out there, you bring all of those tools you have before with you. And the one thing I think that has us, you know, uh, gives us a leg up in code enforcement is that in most places, if you're in code enforcement, you are involved and engaged in so many different areas of local government 
that people working in other disciplines are not necessarily going to be exposed to or engaged in. And so you're going to have an understanding as to what Public Works is doing with you know their uh, their MS4 EPA permits and with stormwater discharge and what building safety is doing with their permitting process and with uh, the challenges they're taking on and you know how PD is approaching these you know pop cases or various things that that the police department takes on that intersect with code enforcement. You have a good foundation in code enforcement to to move into that generalist area of local government because you have an exposure to all these things and have an understanding as to how they're operating. So I, I would, I would tell everybody to, you know, to just continue to always be learning, to continue to always be, you know, exposing yourself to new ideas and to new concepts. And then, you know, don't be shy about throwing your hat in the ring when the opportunity seems right. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's funny that you say that because, you know, some of us have thought about moving out of state, you know, and then you say, what's out there. And and it's funny because, you know, me doing what I do, I get to talk to a lot of people in Florida and Texas and, you know, I'm all over the place. So and I love what I do because I get to learn. And, you, you know, one, one of the things I've learned in the last couple of years is like, you know what? The foundation of code enforcement is the same throughout the United States. It's, it's exactly the same. And, you know, that we have no standardization out there. You know, that's something that we say, hey, you know what? Um yeah, you're in planning, but guess what? There's these tools in building and and then and PD and, and all these. And and sometimes you, you see some cities balk. I'm like, well, we don't do that. I'm like, well, why? <laughs> you know, you have to ask those questions, you know, and it, and it comes down to, you know, some jurisdictions just don't like stirring the pot sure. you know, because it causes more work. But at the time, you know, but then it's the same communities that complain that your code enforcement isn't doing anything or, you know, they called and you're not, you know, uh, what, how, how come so-and-so gets away with it and not, you know, you're punishing me. And, you are you know, once you have a standardized program, you know, and that's why PD is, a, you know, code enforcement PD sometimes is very effective because they, they tend to be in a silo where like, hey, you know, you're violating the law. This is what it is. And. There you go. And where community development, you kind of have to kind of maneuver and stuff a little bit more. So you, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, you do. You have to be flexible. And I think that, you know, everybody has to understand the environment they're working in. Of course, they need to respect the, you know, the constraints or the, the uh, strategies that their city or their county wants them to take on and not to take on. But I think that at least always taking a position to where you have, you express a willingness and you, uh, you know, sort of lean into having an attitude of wanting to be helpful and problem solving with the partners in your agency creates a circumstance where when the time or the opportunity is right, they'll leverage that and they'll know, oh, you know, code enforcement is able to help with that or they're willing to help with that. Let's, you know, talk to uh, the team there and see what they're able to do. And it pro- it provides a development opportunity for the staff or the team there to be able to uh, be exposed to, to new things. And then that helps personal professional development as well. Yeah, no, I, I get it, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it, just seeing your move, it's a, it, you know, like at first I saw Carrie and Carl move over to Texas. Now you're moving over to Texas, you know, and, and it's, and it's, it's, uh, you know, and getting to know a lot of the supervisors in Texas, uh, you know, like I told you, you're in good company, you know, you have Jose, Absolutely. Jose yes. out there, he's running for the board. He's uh he's uh you know, he's an awesome guy, Cristela Miles. 
awesome. You have Pasco, Texas. You know, they're mm-hmm. setting the uh, the you know the uh, you know uh, doing stuff for uh, credentialing. Uh, they're doing some stuff, so that's you know that's awesome stuff. It's just great to see, you know, just Texas kind of growing. It's 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 awesome to see. You know, and yeah, you know, I feel I feel like I've landed in a great environment here. I mean, the city uh, specifically where I'm at in Irving is is it's just a great operation with a lot of great people. And then having you know familiar faces in the region is uh, is reassuring. And you know, we're not by no means there's not an invasion from Cal. You know, we're not looking to take over, but uh, um, you know, it's uh, there's a talent pool here that I was you know honored to to join, <laughs> and uh, I, I think we're uh, you know individually the cities we work with and and collectively I could uh, I can see us continuing to network and do great things. Well, shout out to Texas. You know, you got your kudos today. <laughs> California's loss is Texas gain, but still, you know. But you know, uh, Shane, we really appreciate you being on the show today. It's you know, it's always a, a great pleasure to hear from industry uh, leaders, and you know, love what you what you did in California. I'm looking forward to what you're going to do in Texas, and trust me, I'm watching everything. So it, it's awesome, and you know, once you. You get settled, maybe you have back back on the show and say, "Hey, how's the experience? What are you guys working on?" And you know, getting that stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for inviting me. And uh, you know, it's it's great. It's it's always a terrific opportunity to be able to connect with people and to uh, share whatever my insights might be able to be of help with. You know, and then in turn connect with people that can help me learn. Well, Cabell is by far. Uh, premier organization. Thank you for your service. You. you know, you, you've done some great work. You know, I, I got to network with you and it's always a, a pleasure. So thank you very much. And everybody, we will see you next week. And, you know, thank you everybody for uh, contributing to the chats. So with that, we'll Thanks, see you next Shane. week. Thank you, Shane. Bye.